You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Well, let me tell you a story from the Bible. It starts in uh, a country town. Uh, This country town is in the middle of nowhere. There are uh, hardly any other towns close by. It's in a part of the world that nobody else really wanted to live in. The land is not great for farming, even though the people are farmers. Uh, The weather isn't great. Nobody really wants to live in this particular place, but the reason this town existed is because that many, many years ago, the people's ancestors were refugees and they got driven away from their country by a war. And they couldn't find anywhere that they were welcomed. And so they ended up in this place where nobody else really wanted to live and so it was available and so they could settle there. It was a hard life. Uh, Not only was the soil not very good, but there were local tribesmen in the areas around and, and these tribesmen didn't like the people being there and so they made things more difficult. And so instead of living on farms like they really needed to, they gathered in villages to protect themselves from the raiders. Now, before they arrived in this place, they already worshipped many gods. But in this unfamiliar, unforgiving situation, uh, they developed some strange superstitions. They also uh, developed some new ideas about what they thought were the local gods that they had added to the gods that they had brought with them. The people in this town didn't like outsiders. So one day when another group of refugees arrived, uh, this group of refugees were not welcomed. The new refugees were Jews and the townspeople didn't like them. Uh, The the Jews had uh, what they thought of as a strange religion and they thought that this new religion that they had brought with them would offend the gods and was against all of the superstitions and religions that they had developed Now, as much as the locals didn't like the Jews, the Jews didn't like those people either. And and so the Jews kept to themselves and and they were a fairly judgmental group. Uh, They regarded themselves as being a very morally pure group and didn't want to mix with the locals very much. Now, there was a woman in this group of Jews who had come as refugees as well and and she was very well regarded. Uh, She was from a family with a great reputation. But when her husband died, uh, things started going wrong for her and particularly for her daughter. Um, She obviously was going through some stuff and went off the rails a little bit. Um, She got pregnant. There were rumours that came as a result of that, especially in those days in that culture. And and so the family name became ruined. The rumours were really mainly about who's the father The girl wasn't saying who the father was. Um, Was he a local? Was he a traveller? Maybe she had been raped. She wasn't talking. And when the boy eventually was born, nobody claimed him. And so when this boy grew up, he became rejected by most of society that he knew. He was rejected by the, the original inhabitants, the local Greeks, because he was part of this this Jewish group that they didn't like. Uh, He was rejected by the Jews because they had certain beliefs about what it meant to be a person who was born out of wedlock and and what 
place you could hold in the society and all of those kinds of things. And, and so the family started to become poor. Uh, there's not much work in those days for the mother of an illegitimate child. The boy's grandma helped as much as she could. Uh, she loved the boy. But the townsfolk talked and the mystery of the boy's father just kind of grew and was always there and people whispered about it whenever they saw him. They pointed when he walked across the street and the children teased him. And the boy knew that he was different. He was told that he would never be a leader. He was told that he would never please God. In fact, even his birth didn't please God, he was told. He was told that he would never be accepted, he would never be loved. And so this atmosphere caused him to grow up to be a very shy little boy. Uh, he was shy at, when he went shopping. He was shy when he was playing with his friends. He was shy anywhere that was public. In fact, he probably didn't really like leaving the house very much. He was a very insecure, afraid kind of person. And he grew to believe what people said about him. He believed that he was worthless. He believed that he wouldn't amount to anything. He believed that nobody would love him and, and probably believed that he was a burden. But there was one man that he liked and this man was an outcast like him. Uh, this man was the town cripple. And he had a lot of things in common with the boy. Uh, he grew up rejected. He was not useful. And so because he was not useful to the society, he was not loved he was not accepted. The people believed that obviously there must be something wrong with him because why else would the gods make him a cripple? And so the boy felt an affinity with him and grew to be like him and grew to like him. Uh, but one day, uh, a new man came to town, a man that nobody had met before. And this was a, he was a strange man. Uh, he was confident. He was loud and he was powerful. And, and he... he got the town together and he spoke and he preached in the town square. Uh, both the cripple and the boy were captivated and they started to believe some of the things that this man was saying, some stuff that they'd never heard before, stuff about a man named Jesus and what he did and what he came to the world to bring. But then suddenly the preacher walked over to the cripple and he said this, and you'll find it in your Bible if you want to follow along with me in Acts chapter 14, verse 11. He said, stand up on your feet. And at that the man jumped up and began to walk. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and they rushed into the crowd shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and he fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch, another town, and Iconium, and they won the crowd over and they stoned Paul 
and dragged him outside the city, thinking that he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Then skip a couple of verses. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. At that moment, when Paul came to town, the little boy's life was, was impacted and changed. This new man, this Paul guy, he had everything that the boy could dream about in life. Timothy had been rejected by his friends. He had been rejected by most of his family. He'd been rejected by his society and he believed that he had been rejected by God. But Paul said something different. He said that God loved him, that God wanted him in his family. Timothy was shy and timid and weak and had no prospects of any kind of future, but Paul was powerful and confident and he'd travelled the world and, and he was saying things like, God can strengthen you and God can help you do things and help you become something different. And Timothy wanted to go with Paul. Uh, but he was too young. We believe that he was probably less than 10 years old at the time. And when Paul left town, Timothy cried and cried. And it might be these tears that Paul was talking about when he wrote a letter to Timothy many years later in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4, when he says, When I remember your tears, I long to see you so that I can be filled with happiness. Paul was the only man who had ever believed in Timothy and in a few days he was never going to see him again and it would be back to life as normal. But it wasn't quite back to life as normal. Life was never quite the same for Timothy. His old friend the cripple, uh, he wasn't a cripple anymore. Paul had healed him and, and it's possible that this man became an elder in the new church that was set up and, and so there was hope for the future. And then, three years later, they heard some news. Paul was coming back. He was having another tour of the area and, and Timothy couldn't believe it and he begged and begged and begged his mother, can I go with Paul this time? Mum, there's nothing here for me in this town. I don't want to stay here. I want to go and be with Paul. And he might have gone to his old friend, the former cripple, and said, please talk to Mum and convince her for me. And so when Paul arrived, he remembered this little boy, this shy boy, and his heart went out to him and he listened to him tell his story. Paul, I never had a dad. I want you to be my dad. You're brave and you're strong and you're everything that I've ever wanted to be. And so the elders of a church, the church agreed that it would be good for Timothy to go. Uh, there was no future for him here in this town. So his mother was sad, but she knew that that was true, and that this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for her son. Her son had been abused and mistreated and spat on and despised um, because of her past, and this was finally a chance for him to have a real father and a chance at a real life. And so Timothy joined Paul and Barnabas, and they travelled for years together. But we know that Timothy would have to battle shyness and feelings of insecurity 
for the rest of his life. And we know that from some of the letters that Paul wrote to him. When Timothy was a boy, people looked down on him for any reason imaginable, because of his mum, because of his dad, because he was poor, because he was from a country town, because he was an orphan, because he was uneducated. Because of that, he became shy. Because of that, he didn't have very good people skills. And when you don't have good people skills, that just all snowballs then, doesn't it? Because you can't talk to people and so people look down on you for that as well. They think you're strange. And so later in life, when Timothy is a young man, maybe in his 20s, maybe in his 30s, we see him again in the Bible and he's the pastor of a church. And people are looking down on him again. And the old voices in his head have returned. How can you lead these people? You're so young, you're so inexperienced, you're from a country town, you're a nobody. And Paul writes to him in 1 Timothy 4.12 and he says, Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. And so Timothy listens to Paul's advice in that letter and he grew and eventually this shy, insecure boy who no one thought would be anything grew to be one of the most powerful leaders in the church and men of God of all time. And so we hear that story and we think, well, how did, how did he do that? How did he overcome? How did he get past some of those things from when he was a kid and those voices in his head? That's what we're going to look at today. And so I want you to look at your piece of paper that you wrote on or if you didn't write anything on it and you just got that idea in your mind, I want you to concentrate on that. People have said this stuff about you. And now I want you to listen real carefully. That stuff on your piece of paper, that's not you. That is not the core of who you are. That's, that's a lie that has been fabricated about you. There is more to you than that. Don't believe the lie. That is not who God created you to be. When God created you, we believe that God actually thought you up. God thought about you before you were even conceived. And he knew what you were going to be like and what his plans for you were. And he thought you up and said, I want to make this. And when he thought about that, when he thought about you, he wasn't thinking about that thing that's on your piece of paper there. That's not what he dreamed up. He was thinking about something amazing. He was thinking about something unique and something beautiful. And, and he was thinking about the real you. No one should look down on you for that thing that's on your piece of paper. You might have problems. You might not be great at everything. You might have made mistakes. Well, we've all done that. None of us are good at everything. So we've all got things like what's on your piece of paper. And even though sometimes you might stuff things up, you're still unique, you're still precious, you're still wonderful, and you're still something that God dreamed of and wanted to create and wanted to be in the world. And so nobody has a right to criticise something that God created. And nobody's called to do that in their life. That's nobody's call in life. God did not say to anybody... I've got a ministry that I want you to do and from this day forward your life's calling will be to tell people what's wrong with them 
and, and to make them feel small, and, and I want you to make people feel insignificant. God didn't say that to anybody. God calls us to the opposite. God calls us to the ministry of encouragement. Anybody can criticise, that's easy. We can all see things about people that we don't like and talk about those things. But all that does is discourage people and it makes them actually want to give up anything good that they were trying to do. And you know that because people criticise you. And when they criticise you, how does it make you feel? It just makes you want to stop. It just makes you want to give up. But it goes a little deeper than that. When someone criticises you, something else happens. It makes you want to criticise them back, doesn't it? You know what the problem with that is? If you go down that road, not only will you develop a critical atmosphere around you in your circle of friends or at work or whatever that is, which impacts you in, in itself, but something worse than that happens is you actually start to become a critical kind of person at your core on the inside. And, and for Timothy, this kind of stuff was happening around him and he was battling it and, and there was a time in his life when he faced this challenge. He was young, people were looking down at him and they were saying, you're too young, you can't lead us. And you think about that, what's he supposed to do to fix that problem? He can't really say, oh, I apologise for being young, I'll be older tomorrow. Well, he will be older tomorrow, but probably not enough, right? You can't actually fix your age. So can he change that? No, he can't change it. Can he change them? Not really. They're not listening to him anyway, are they? Because all they can see is his faults and that's all they're looking at. So what can he do? Well, he could criticise them back and get into that kind of game. But Paul is Timothy's mentor and he writes to Timothy and he says, Timothy, this is what I want you to do. Don't let anybody look down on you because you're young, but do this. Set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith and in purity. Persevere in those things because if you do, you will save yourself. And that's important for us to pay attention to today. If people are criticising you and looking down on you and saying negative things about you that are getting you down, how do you change your situation? Well, you do what this says and it starts very simply. It starts by helping people. Now, when we think about that, we think someone's criticising me, what's the solution? Well, our first thought generally isn't that, to help people. That's not what comes into my head. My head is, well, you've got to do something about the criticism. No, Paul says, don't worry about that, help people. And let me tell you how that works and why he says that. We'll actually start by looking at what won't help. What won't help is focusing on yourself. Don't say, well, because they're criticising me, I need to change me because I've got all these problems and that's what they're criticising. That, that's not going to do anything. If you focus on yourself, you're actually going to become a self-obsessed person. You're going to become sooky in life. And, and focusing on your negatives all the time, that's just a depressing way to live anyway. And people who do focus on their negatives all the time are the kinds of people that we don't really like to be around because they're not nice to be around. So don't do that. Don't become that kind of person. Also, don't focus on the other person and think, well, I need to fight them because they're a nasty person and they're hurting other people, so it's my job to stop them. Don't do that. You're not going to show that they are wrong. That's not going to work. 
And if you do that, well, you're really going to be operating out of a kind of a negative spirit of revenge and, and that's a really a destructive way to focus your life and, and that's not a great way to live either. Living for revenge it kills you on the inside before it does any damage to the other person. There's a famous little saying up here on the screen by a guy named Frederick Buchner and he says this, he says, to lick your wounds and to smack your lips and to savour to the last morsel both the pain that you are given and the pain that you are giving back. That is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. Focusing on revenge actually destroys you more than it destroys the other person. So don't do that. Don't focus on your negatives and your pain. Don't focus on revenge and proving them wrong. Those are not good ways of going about life and they just hurt you. Here's what Paul says you've got to do. He says, be an example. Help other people by setting them a great example for them to follow. Then you will succeed. Because that comes from a positive way of thinking about it. It comes from a positive answer. First, first, he says, set an example for others in your speech. What you say, what you say is important because that's the quickest way that you can fix anything that's going on in here. All right? But it's actually the first thing you can do that's immediate. It is hard to fix what's going on in here and this can take a little bit of time, but your speech, you can fix that instantly. But it's important for another reason. Because what you say actually is affecting who you are becoming. Um, Jesus says that your mouth and your heart are connected. And Jesus actually talks about it coming from heart to mouth. And then we're going to look at, well, what happens from mouth back to heart. But in Matthew chapter 12, he says, Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings the good things out of the good stored up in him. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. What he's saying is that whatever is in your heart, you actually can't keep it in there for very long. Jesus word, used the word overflow. And the idea of what he's talking about there is that, that inside you're, you're creating juice like a juice maker. Right? You've got oranges and you're squeezing them. And, and as you do that long enough, it just it comes out. It overflows. You can't hold it in there. You can only hold it in for so long before it just, bleh, it just comes out. And if your heart's creating joy, then bleh, you bubble out joy. If your heart's creating a critical spirit or pride, then bleh, you're going to spew that out at some stage as well. It just bubbles up and bubbles up until eventually it bubbles out and you can't stop it. And so the question which Jesus is asking is, well, what's coming out? Good stuff or bad stuff? Because whatever's coming out of your mouth, that will tell us what's going on inside your heart. Uh, there's once a person that I knew and, and he used to complain all the time and he would say, Simon, everybody misunderstands me. Everybody thinks I'm arrogant, everybody thinks I'm proud, everybody thinks I'm a know-it-all, but I'm not. I'm not arrogant and I'm not proud and I'm not a know-it-all, it's just that I'm always right and other people are wrong and, and bleh, right? he, he couldn't stop himself. And I used to want to tell him, you know what, you know why everybody thinks you're arrogant and proud and a know-it-all? It's because you are arrogant and proud and a know-it-all, but I couldn't tell him that because he was my boss and so I didn't want to get fired and so I just nodded and said, yeah, it's, it's really bad, isn't it? But here's the good thing for us. 
Because your heart and your mouth are connected, if you don't like what's going on in your heart, instead of trying to hold it in, which is what we're kind of tempted to do and what we try to do a lot of the time, which won't work, the best way to fix that is to change your language. You can reverse the process. Your heart does produce stuff. So if there's negative thoughts in your heart, you can actually affect what's going on in your heart by starting to speak positive words. Now, the negative will bubble out because that's still going on down here, but you can actually overcome that by starting to speak and think positive thoughts and you can encourage all the people around you that you can. Wherever you are, whatever you do, become an encourager. Whenever you see anything a tiny bit good, say, wow, look at that, you did an amazing job at that, you're so good at that and encourage the person. And train yourself to see the good things that people are doing rather than automatically seeing the bad things they're doing. And if there's no one around to practice that on, we'll just tell God that He's good at stuff. You know, that's a great flower, God, you made that really well, thank you for that. That's being positive, okay? We have a religious word for that and it's called praise, but we don't need to worry about that. Just think about it as encouraging God, right? That helps you because it's helping you to focus on being positive as well. And not only will that change the environment around you so that you start to have positive stuff happening in the lives of people around you and then when they start feeling positive, it actually bounces back to you a little bit. Not only will it do all of that, but also because your heart and your mouth are connected, it will actually start to retrain your heart. It will change the way you think and sometimes the way that you feel. But that's only part one, this verse goes on. It doesn't just say, set an example in speech, that's just where it starts. It says, then set an example in life, in your actions. As your heart and mouth start changing and moving in a different direction, your actions will actually do a similar thing. And then you'll start to find that you're becoming an encouraging person in not just what you say, but the things that you do. You can change your situation if people are being critical towards you. Whatever people criticise you for, you be an example to them in your speech firstly and then your words will start to change your actions. And here's the thing, you might notice this, the way that you change the way you speak to them and the way that you change the way you act around them and with all the people around you, that actually might make them change their behaviour towards you. But it might not. Either way, doesn't actually matter. Because what will have happened is that you're the one that's changing. And we know that as you start to change, that is what's important. And as you become the person that God created you to be, then you'll start to realise that what other people think about you doesn't matter much to you anymore. So it doesn't matter if they keep criticising you because you're not going to place a lot of value and importance in what they say because you're becoming a more strong and, in, and uh, confident person yourself. And so as your words and your actions change your heart, the next thing it says will happen is your love will grow. Love means that you start wanting to sacrifice your own wants and the things that you need to help others. And then when you start to do that, when you start sacrificing things, you kind of start having needs in your life and that's going to help your faith to grow. 
And as you start to have a stronger faith, that is going to affect your purity. And so on and so on. Do you see how they all follow and are connected to each other? But it starts at the beginning. If someone is looking down on you, if someone's criticising you, don't get mopey. What they, why are they saying that about me? That's not, that's not going to do anything. Don't talk back, don't defend yourself, don't try to prove them wrong. Decide to become an example, not for revenge, not to show them up, not to show that you're better than them, not to show how wrong they are, but help people by showing everybody the right way. And Paul says that in doing that, you will save yourself from them, from the situation and from the negative place that you could go if you keep going down that attitude. So that's the process. But if you are paying really close attention, you might have noticed that there's a little part of the verse that I've missed out on. And that's the last couple of words where it says, your hearers. Well, who, who are my hearers? It's okay for Paul to write that to Timothy because he's a pastor, so he's preaching, right? So Paul, Timothy's got hearers. Well, this is written for you as well. And you're thinking, well, I don't have any hearers. Well, you actually do. Your hearers are the ones who are listening to your life's story. Because whether or not you are talking about it, your life is telling a story. Every day, people are listening to your message. Now, there's a friend of mine who I have been praying to and witnessing to for, for many, many years. And I've spoken to him tons of times about Jesus. And, and every time I did that, uh, his eyes would glaze over, all right? And, and I'd be talking to him and I'd look at him and I'd realise, okay, I've just killed this conversation, okay? Have you ever, yes, you've been in that, yeah, that happens a lot. And with this guy, it would happen every single time. And, and um, I noticed that one day um, my relationship with him was actually being affected because I was bringing this up all the time and, and he just wasn't interested in hearing about it and I wasn't sure what to do about that. But one day, um, he noticed that I was actually a bit down and he started asking questions about why, why is that? What's going on in your life? What's the difficult things that you're going through? And so I started talking to him about what I was encountering and I started talking to him about suffering and you know, what I'm learning through that and what God was teaching me through that and why I thought I was going through it and all those kinds of things. And, and as he saw me struggling with that and not just enduring the suffering but talking about it in spiritual terms and saying, look, I think this is what God's trying to teach me, um, that was the first time that he ever stopped and paid attention to kind of anything spiritual that I told him about and that's the first time we actually connected on that kind of level. And what I realised was that he actually had no interest in my words. He was not interested in becoming a part of my religion or anything like that. But I suddenly became super aware of how much he was listening to my life. And he was watching what I was doing and, and wanting to engage me without me even knowing how to do that. And I'd been trying to tell him stuff with my words, but he was actually more interested in what was happening in my life and learning that way. People are not listening to your words anywhere near as much as they are listening to your life. And so, if some people are looking down on you and criticising you and you want to save yourself, we'll do all the things we've talked about. 
Set an example. You'll change along the way. And if you do, you won't just save yourself, but you're also going to do something for your hearers. The people that are watching you to try and learn from you, what good things can I learn from your life? I want to tell you one more story. And this is a very similar story to the one we read in the Bible. This story is about another young boy who lived in another country town and his family also had certain religious beliefs. They had strong views on on certain values and they were a pretty conservative group there as well. And because the family stood for these particular things um, and took a stand on some of these things, they eventually lost the farm and they became poor and they lived in a caravan on the farm of a friend because they lost everything that they had and and the clothes that the kids in the family had were from second-hand shops and and the best clothes that they had were made by grandma and uh, the boy had really bad eyesight so he needed glasses and because they could only afford the the cheap ones which are the big ugly ones with the really thick frames and the really thick lenses and so because of that and the way that the family were poor and the boy became self-conscious about the big glasses and was self-conscious about the clothes, um, the boy started to become a shy kind of boy, a bit like Timothy, and he was very quiet and he was socially awkward as well. He had trouble in conversations, he had trouble making friends. Um, and because he was colourblind, he tended to wear, wear weird clothes, which really became an issue when he left home and went to university because... At that time, he started becoming interested in girls and wanted to fall in love, but like many young men, uh, he was very shy when it came to girls. He just couldn't work up the courage to talk to them, and when he did, he was embarrassed because he didn't know what to talk to them about. And there was one girl in his youth group that he was in love with for a long time. But in the whole six years that they went to the same church, he could only work up the courage to talk to her once or twice. So instead of talking to her, and instead of talking to other girls that he liked, uh, he would write them notes, and he would draw funny cartoons if he didn't think of anything that he'd worth saying. But that didn't get him very far, it just made people think that he was creepy. Because if you are a person who writes letters to girls in a movie, you're a very romantic guy. But if you're a person who writes letters to girls in real life, you're weird and you're creepy. And so... One day when a really creepy guy did come to the church and started writing some really creepy letters to some of the girls, uh, this guy was the first one that got blamed with it. But he felt called to ministry. And so he went to Bible college and eventually time came when it was near time to graduate from Bible college. And uh, he had no idea what he was going to do next after that. He couldn't imagine anyone wanting him as a pastor. He couldn't get an invitation to a birthday party, let alone an invitation to come and lead a group of people in a church. But a visiting preacher came to his town one day as well and asked him to come on a missionary trip as well. And so for two years, that person built into his life and said to him, you know what, you've got a lot to offer. And he gave him confidence and built into his life and built him up. And two years later, that young man went home and followed through on the call to ministry and he joined uh, what was a very difficult ministry. It was a place that a lot of people said was just not going anywhere, just need to let that place close down because 
It's, it's a horrible place. It's burned through a lot of pastors. And he went there. Uh, they faced some large problems in the church, but the church grew. Uh, they established a healthy leadership there, the finances were fixed up and, and the church looked like it was going somewhere in the future. And when he resigned, uh, it turned out that he was the fourth longest serving pastor in that church's 100-year history. And now that boy, that young man is here speaking to you today. Uh, my life changed and took a different direction because one person believed in encouragement. And this man in the picture up there on the left, he chose to say, Simon, I don't believe in all the things that people are saying about you. I choose to see what God sees. And because that person chose to be an encourager, my life took a different direction. You can be that person that changes someone's life. You can be the person who builds confidence and power into another person's life. And because you are a person who knows what it feels like to have people say bad stuff about you, you are the perfect person to help someone who is hearing bad stuff about them. You can be the person who says, I choose not to believe all that stuff, I choose to see what God sees. And you can be the person who turns someone else's life in a different direction. And I don't really care about the fact that Griff up there is the pastor of a massive big church and he's really successful and people kind of look up to him and want him to come and speak at their events and stuff, which is true, but that, none of that matters to me. And that's not how I think of him. I think of him as the person who loved me and encouraged me and invested in me and the person who changed my life. And none of that other stuff is actually that important to me. What's important is what he did with me. And so for you, it doesn't matter what your situation is. It might be that you're involved in a ministry that's big or small. Doesn't matter. You might have a business that's successful or not very successful. It might be failing and you might be going bankrupt. Even though that hurts you personally, it actually doesn't matter to the person that you are encouraging and speaking to because they see something else. None of those things matter. What matters is that you can be a difference maker for someone else by encouraging them and believing in them. And if that becomes your purpose in life rather than your business or the thing that you're trying to achieve over here, that thing becomes the beacon of what your life stands for. I only spent two years serving in his church and at the end, Pastor Griff gave me a Bible. And it was just like a, a parting gift. I don't even use it very much because I just keep it there as a reminder of him. And and I use other Bibles when I want to write in them and use them a lot and wreck them and all that kind of stuff. And, but he wrote in the front of that Bible some verses from a book in the Bible called Thessalonians. And this is what he wrote. How can we thank God enough for you, given all the joy we have because of you before our God? Night and day we pray more than ever to see all of you in person and to complete whatever is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself guide us on our way back to you. And I love those verses there. These are people that the Apostle Paul loves. 
These are people that give him constant joy. And he can't wait for God to guide them back together again. And they are the people closest to his heart as he's writing those words. But he prays an interesting prayer. He prays that God will help complete what is lacking in their faith. I don't normally say that in a letter to a person, do we, when we're saying how wonderful they are? Oh, we just hope that God will finish what problems you've got. But that's what Paul says. You know why? And you know why that's important for us to pay attention to today? Because Paul loves these people deeply, but what he's saying is, I love you even though you're not perfect. Because he knows that he's not perfect himself and none of us are perfect. And Griff knew that I'm not perfect. Everybody has something lacking in their faith. Everybody. And so as you look at your piece of paper and as you think about those things that people have said about you, those are probably parts of your life that are lacking something. I mean, what they're saying is not true, but there's something in that that you might want to work on. They're lacking. But as that's sitting there, I want to say to you what my mentor said to me and what Paul said to Timothy, don't let anybody look down on you for those things. Don't let anybody look down on you because of those things. That's not what God thinks of you. That's not what I think of when I think of you. It's not what any of your pastors here think of when they look at you. And when Jesus looks at you, that stuff on your piece of paper is not what Jesus sees. What Jesus sees is the person he loves. What Jesus sees is the person that he dreamed up and created and said, I made this amazing thing. That's what he sees. And what he wants is for you to come to him and to be with him and let him gather you into his arms and let him comfort you. He wants to let you have all of the rubbish and all of the burden that you carry wiped away with him. And he wants to start that today. And so the question for you today is, will you let him do that? Whether you've been a Christian for a long time, whether you're a person who this is the first time you've walked into this church, you can ask these kinds of questions of yourself. Will you invite Jesus to be a part of your life in a real way? He's provided the way for it to happen. He's taken away everything that is a barrier between you and Him. All of the sins that are in the way of us having a relationship with God, well, Jesus said, I came and died and took the punishment for that, so you don't have to worry about that anymore. All you have to do is invite me to come into relationship and we can start working on these things together because Jesus wants to be with you, helping you with those things and encouraging you. And the question is, will you let him do that? Will you let him help you? And be open with him about the stuff that's actually going on in your life instead of hiding from God because we're afraid that God will reject us because of the darkness that we think we have in here and that we feel. Will you invite him to be a part of your life in a real way? If you want that, we want to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. Uh, there's going to be some people standing over here who are going to pray for you. If you want that, you can go over there and talk to them or I can pray for you as you sit 
in your seat. And we as a church want to encourage you. And so why don't I pray for you now, if you want me to pray specifically for you, I won't call you out or anything, but you can put your hand up while we pray, otherwise you can know that I'm praying for you all generally, or if you want to go over there and pray, you can do that in a moment. But we're going to pray, if you want me to have you in my mind as I'm praying, that's fine, just stick your hand up. But let's all close our eyes and we'll close this service now with a prayer before the band comes up. Father, we are thankful that you are an encourager at heart. Thank you that you call us to encourage the people around us and we know that there's a lot of stuff that has hurt us and a lot of baggage that we carry. There's a lot of blame that we put on ourselves and some of that we probably deserve. But I pray that you will help us to be able to lay all of those things at your feet. I pray that you will help us to be able to say with hearts of faith, Jesus has taken care of all of that when he died for us. I pray that you will help us to be able to say, Lord, I want to be close to you. I want you to be a part of what's going on inside my soul so that I can be with you now and in eternity. And for these people who are sitting here today, Father, I want to pray for each of them. We know that every single one of them has stuff going on in their lives that maybe they're embarrassed about or maybe it's baggage from their past or maybe it's stuff that people have said about them or is saying about them now. Pray that you'll help them to be able to apply some of these things to work through those issues and they'll be able to find some people in their lives who will encourage them. But as well, I pray that you'll help each of us to be on the lookout for people that we can encourage and so that we can be the person that makes a difference to the person next to us. And we thank you that you give us the ability and the energy to do that. We thank you that you are with us as we try to do these things every day. In Jesus' name.